Are you listening to this on Spotify right now? You should be. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. Premium Spotify users can download episodes to listen to offline, so wherever you are, you can hear me. It'll be like we're on that vacation in the mountains together. And of course, you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends on Instagram. If you haven't done so already, be sure to download the Spotify app and search for Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. Or you can browse to find new podcasts in the tab marked Your Library. Oh, and make sure to follow me so you never miss an episode of Be Reasonable. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I found myself a date to the square dance. It's high noon for Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. So to update on the Jonathan Swan interview of the president that had everybody going bananas for a couple days, Swan tweeted in the afternoon yesterday, when I interviewed POTUS, I said the mail-in voting materials people receive are applications, not ballots. That's overwhelmingly the case, but not universally so. E.g., California, and now post-taping, Nevada. I should have used more precise language, and I'm sorry for the mistake. Now, it's great that he tweeted that. That is the minimal bar of responsibility that he could cross. And it is a very low bar. The truth is that Jonathan Swan had absolutely no idea of what the debate was over when he asked the question. Not understanding that mail-in ballots in the system that Democrats are pushing for are sent out to everyone is the whole issue. And this is really harmful because people are using that exchange during that interview to say that Trump is somehow uh, maliciously trying to influence the outcome of the election or to cast doubt on the outcome of the election. And Swan framed it that way in the interview. But that is not what's happening. Democrats are literally trying to change the method of voting so that every state will have the same process that California has and that Nevada has now decided to go with. That is the entire problem. If you are someone who's interviewing the president and even pretending to do prestige, hard-hitting journalism, and you don't even know the argument you're discussing, 
you're a shamefully bad reporter. It is unbelievable to me that everybody's like, oh, what a great interview. No, it's not a great interview because the interviewer is a goddamn idiot. You can't be paying attention and doing the background you need to do to do that interview and not know the thing he didn't know. That is why the conversation is distorted. They want mail-in ballots sent to everyone and the excuse is because people can't go vote in person because of COVID. That is undeniably false. Nearly all states have systems where you can request a mail-in ballot, an absentee ballot for any reason. Some of the states require you to show evidence of that. Trump has specifically said over and over that he has no problem with that process. There is video of him saying it. If you don't believe me, please go watch. He says, I myself vote absentee because I'm registered in Florida, but I'm not going to be in Florida. He has also said that Florida has been setting up their systems for mail-in balloting for quite a long time. And so he's not worried about that in the same way that he's worried about Nevada, who just changed their system three months before an election. So Trump's position is to maintain the status quo. And it's shocking to me that people don't realize that. And apparently they don't because I actually ended up in exchanges about this on Twitter yesterday, people really believe that Trump is trying to change the system. No, Trump is leaving the system in place as it is. He is saying the Democrats should not be allowed to change the method of voting three months before an election. That is an entirely defensible position. In fact, it is the only defensible position because you cannot defend changing the method of voting based on COVID. It is impossible on the science or anything else to claim that. And if you're still going to try to push that, then at least for the sake of your own integrity, admit that masks don't work at all. Okay? Because if they did, you wouldn't be worried about people going and voting with all of the measures they have in place, with the fact that the Wisconsin primaries happened in the first couple weeks after lockdowns or after everybody decided it was a threat, there was no major outbreak from that. Anthony Fauci said, today, if you can socially distance yourself to run errands, you should be able to do that to vote. So Anthony Fauci, God of all medical knowledge and America's doctor, agrees with the Trump administration that there is no obstacle to voting presented by COVID. How else are we supposed to read any of this? Again, Trump is maintaining the status quo. Democrats are looking to alter the method of voting 
for a presidential election that they say is the most important in history and may well be. And so I was thinking about this yesterday and then a tweet popped up from a guy named Tom Fitton, who has an organization called Judicial Watch. Um, Tom Fitton seems to be on the right. I take the things he says with a bit of a grain of salt. I'm not uh, entirely sure that I trust the guy fully, but there is no reason to doubt this tweet because it's factually true and you can check it. So he tweeted, these states have no voter ID. California, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, Maine, Minnesota, North Carolina, uh, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico, Nevada, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Vermont, and Wyoming, and then the District of Columbia. They have no voter ID. The reason I bring this up is because like this whole mail-in balloting situation, this is something that uh, the Democrats used to say that the viewpoint opposite theirs is voter suppression. Okay, so the Republicans not being willing to switch the method of voting three months before an election, they are doing that to suppress the votes of old people, for instance, or black people or whoever they're going to blame it on this time. Right. So we just talked about that. They say the same thing about voter ID. And what they do is they play on people's prejudices and they say to them, well, think of all the old folks. Think of all the black people who can't get IDs. The sentence, think of all the black people who can't get IDs, is racist. It's playing on your prejudices of black people as poor, uneducated, and unable to take care of basic tasks in their everyday life. If you believe that, you should have a look in the mirror. I don't believe that at all. I do not think it is unreasonable to expect a citizen of the country who plans to vote in the election be able to get themselves a state-issued ID. That is not unreasonable at all. But even if we were to admit that that situation could arise. Maybe there's somebody out there who really can't get an ID for some reason. That is an extraordinary outlier case. All right. And regardless, the principle remains. You cannot overturn a principle in the event that there might be outlier cases. That is not how anything works. And so let's go back to this list and realize that Nebraska and Wyoming are on it. And so what is the cause for Wyoming and Nebraska, traditionally Republican states with very low populations of black Americans? Why do they enforce voter ID laws if the enforcement of voter ID laws is racist? Someone please answer that question for me. Why does Wyoming, why do Wyoming and Nebraska have voter ID laws in place? Who are they trying to catch? The four black people that live there? 
This is not a partisan issue. It is not a voter suppression issue. It is a voter fraud issue. And you'll notice that all those states, more or less, are Democratic strongholds. California, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland. Maryland has a Republican governor right now, but they are often a blue state. Almost always. Minnesota, blue state. North Carolina, purple. New Jersey, blue. New Mexico, blue. Nevada, a little purple, but leans blue. New York, extraordinarily blue. Oregon, extraordinarily blue. Pennsylvania, purplish. Vermont, blue. Washington, D.C., 95% Democrat. So why is it all those places that choose not to take that small extra step and protect the sanctity of their elections? Why is that? And what benefit does that provide for them? And if it didn't provide them with a benefit, why is the only case they have against it that it's racist? When you know that Nebraska and Wyoming also have the same system. Give me a fucking break. And another thing we talked about yesterday with the Swan interview was how he made a big deal of Trump referring to uh, the actual fatality rate, the case fatality rate, rather than the number of deaths as a portion of the population. And Swan was wrong on his premises and wrong on the facts. And it's easy to see this by the way the media reacted to it. And by the way, you know Swan would have reacted to it if the person sitting opposite him were a different person. And you know how you know that? Because none of them are using that metric as a basis for comparison between Andrew Cuomo and Ron DeSantis. And why is that? Because Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida scores three times better by that metric than does Andrew Cuomo. So if they are up in arms about Trump's response, about which metrics were valid, if they think those metrics are valid, then they should be constantly talking about Andrew Cuomo's failure. And it was a failure. Okay? There is no government and no president who can stop the spread of a highly contagious virus. But after that, the actual decisions they make matter. The results of those decisions matter. We cannot live in a world where the results of those decisions don't matter or one where they matter for one team and not the other. So what that is, is just the media trying to frame the debate in a way that makes their side win because no one's paying attention to the whole debate. People are paying attention to the debate in bite-sized form. So I just spent a few hours this morning watching Sally Yates testify before the Senate. If you don't know, Sally Yates was the uh, deputy attorney general at the end of the Obama administration and the beginning of the Trump administration. 
and she was called to testify about the FISA warrants for the surveillance of Carter Page, a former member of the Trump campaign, and then everything surrounding Michael Flynn in the Trump transition. And the concern is that the Obama administration and Joe Biden and Susan Rice and Sally Yates and James Comey and John Brennan and James Clapper and Samantha Power were all involved, and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page were all involved in trying to delegitimize the incoming president. That is awfully close to treason. You know, treason has to happen during a war, but there are a few things that I can think of that are more destructive to society than the prior administration using the apparatus of the federal government and specifically the FBI to weaken and debilitate an incoming administration. And that is exactly what was attempted. I think we're going to see this play out more in the next few weeks. If you want to reserve judgment on this, please do. I'm reserving judgment on it myself. Uh, I don't think we have all the information yet that we would need. But this does not look good for President Obama, and it does not look good for Joe Biden. And I genuinely at this point don't know why we would trust any of these people, okay? Obama's administration is the Democratic Party. Aside from the leftist fringe, the Democratic Socialists and them, the squad, the rest of the Democratic Party is aligned with Obama which is fine. Most parties are aligned with their presidents. And so Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison was definitely aligned with Obama and he became the second in command at the DNC. Keith Ellison posted a picture of himself with the Antifa handbook. Google it. It's crazy. Keith Ellison also decided to press second-degree murder charges on Derek Chauvin. Keith Ellison also decided to make sure that for nine weeks, the body camera footage from the officers on scene when George Floyd died was not released to the public. It was leaked by the Daily Mail. And the reason they did that is because he looks extraordinarily out of sorts. He had a massive dose of fentanyl in his system. It is entirely possible that he died of a drug overdose. Am I saying that's what happened? No, I don't know. It's also entirely possible that he was killed in the exact manner that people think he was killed by being choked under the knee of Derek Chauvin, okay? That is possible. The fact that this video wasn't released at the same time the rest of the video was released is an abomination. 
Because the first video painted a very clear picture that went along with the narrative that they were propagating. This video does not support that narrative. This video has them coming up to his car, asking him to please put his hands on the wheel. He kept reaching over to the seat with his right hand. You can see it on the video. It's at that point that one of the officers pulled his gun and aimed it at George Floyd, which is an entirely responsible thing for an officer to do with a man who's completely out of sorts and reaching over to his passenger seat. There is no indication that they arrived on the scene with the intention of killing George Floyd. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. And so Keith Ellison, knowing that this video exists and knowing the policies of the uh, Minneapolis Police Department, still chose to keep back the video. I don't know how many ways this can be interpreted, but I know one of them is that Democrats in office, combined with a media who's happy to help spread basically any political narrative the Democrats want, oversaw and aided in agitation for a race war in the United States. They have no problem tearing apart the fabric of our country, making people have animosity and resentment based on race, even when it is unjustified or less justified than they portray. It was not an accident that this video did not get out. It was intentional. They knew what the result would be. They knew how the conversation would change. And despite that, they have allowed the country to be in this state for two months. Are we supposed to believe that they don't have it in them to do this about coronavirus or the attempted soft coup against Donald Trump? Again, I'm not saying that those things can be proven true. I am saying there is no reason to give these people the benefit of the doubt. Yesterday, uh, media figures began writing little think pieces about how whichever running mate Joe Biden chooses, there is sure to be an avalanche of racist and misogynist hate speech coming at them on Twitter. They're trying to raise the specter of the alt-right, which isn't even a thing. No one talks about the alt-right now. Like, sure, you can name little groups like the Boogaloo Boys and this and fucking Proud Boys or whatever. To, I, don't, I don't know who these boys are. But what they're doing is that they are previewing different campaign narratives to see what sticks. They're going to float that idea out there that any resistance against the person he chooses as a running mate is going to be 
enacted on the basis of race and gender. They are trying to delegitimize any complaints about Joe Biden's choices. All right. That's insane. Joe Biden took his first presidential level decision and immediately excluded half the country when he said he was going to choose a woman and then has excluded much more of the country when he said the focus was on a black woman. He should choose whoever he wants. And if a black woman is the most qualified person to be his running mate, great. But if she's not, and he made that choice anyway, then Joe Biden is telling you that the most important thing to him as president is not someone's competence. It's their race and gender. That is racist and sexist. That is literally what it is to be racist and sexist. This is the same as floating the logic behind why Biden might choose not to debate Trump. They float these stories out there so they give you an apparatus for belief before the event happens. They give you the argument that you can make when people start complaining when the event happens. All right. So Biden just decided that he was not going to travel to Wisconsin for the Democratic National Convention. Uh, Perhaps he's going to give his acceptance speech in his basement. I'm sure it will be a brilliant word jumble. Maybe he'll skip the speech altogether. Who knows? It's quite possible that he's recording the speech in segments right now. They're probably cutting it together like Joe Biden's greatest hits. Like Joe Biden's most coherent moments. And what will they say? They'll refer immediately when Joe Biden decides not to debate. If he decides not to debate, they will say it's for X, Y, Z reasons. All of those reasons have already been uh, focus grouped. If you will. By these op-eds coming out and seeing people's reactions to them. They find out whether or not the, the narrative is convincing to people. And then they will use the narrative that was convincing. And so what this puts people in a position to do is to look at something like canceling the debates, something that they would find abhorrent in a rooted way. You can talk to almost anybody. Unless they've been saying for years or decades that they believe presidential debates are a farce. And there's not that many people who believe that. I think citizens find them valuable, which is the point. But unless they're going to say that, you can imagine that that is a view that they would think is out of bounds. That a candidate can simply decide not to debate. That the country doesn't deserve to see the two men one of whom is going to be leader after this, after the election, that we don't deserve to see them face off, ask each other questions, challenge each other's answers. That's absurd. And by the way, Joe Biden could pick Mitt Romney as his running mate. 
and those right-wing fringe trolls will go after Mitt Romney. They'll say Mitt Romney's a pedophile or some shit. I'm not saying that. Mitt Romney is definitely not a pedophile. They don't care what they say. They are going to go with whatever works, whatever is the meanest, the most brutal, the thing that gets them the most attention. That's what they do. It is a strategy. It's not their profession of a belief system. They will do it to anyone. We don't need to shelter people from that. They are public figures. Should we go around on this basis and try to find all the articles written by feminists about Donald Trump's small hands or that stupid statue that was in New York where Donald Trump had a micro penis? Is that misandrist? If it's not, then Twitter trolls saying shit to Susan Rice and Kamala Harris isn't misogynist. We have to maintain some standard. Watch some of the uh, Sally Yates testimony if you get a chance. It's long. If you don't have much background on it, it might be really boring. But there are other reasons to watch it. And one of them is to realize how consistently people will be performing for cable news and for The Daily Show. This is something that began uh, during Jon Stewart's reign on The Daily Show. Anthony Weiner was one of the big examples. He would give all these fiery speeches so that he could get them replayed on television and on The Daily Show and get people to think that he's a very strong warrior. He was also exchanging pictures of his penis with minors at that point. But God, what a hero, right? For politicians getting to appear on the news with their little justice rant or on The Daily Show is like athletes getting to have their highlights put on SportsCenter. And I'm a sports fan. I don't know if you are, but people used to talk about that, how athletes would do stuff for the benefit of getting on television rather than for the benefit of their team. And these are part of the same phenomenon. And it speaks to a total lack of integrity. Maisie Hirono from Hawaii is an excellent example of this. But give that Give that a look. Watch it for a half an hour and see which side you think cares more about getting to the truth and cares more about whether or not the outgoing administration tried to delegitimize the incoming administration because there are few things more important than that. All right. I will... Be back tomorrow, same reasonable time, same reasonable podcast network. I do not have a network. Uh, Guys, if you like what you're hearing, please share it with people. Please follow Twitter or Instagram at I'm Your Moderator. Be sure to listen to more Hopes Fall. Goodbye. 
Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. If you have feedback, you can email heymoderator at imyourmoderator.com or use the hashtag heymoderator on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, search Be Reasonable on Patreon, where I'll have additional daily-ish segments in a special podcast feed of the show, as well as my writing and audio readings of those articles. You can also go to anchor.fm slash be reasonable and become a supporter there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Be reasonable. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast.